The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. No more will we ever be able to think of the church this way in terms of the sexual abuse crisis. Francis has taken care of that, you see. No, no. He doesn't see this sexual abuse crisis as a problem. He sees it as a necessity. He sees it as part of a program to destroy the very concept of the church as the spotless bride of Christ and to inculcate in all the people of the world the Catholic Church has done these evil things. And you know what? It's curious. The most radical leftist in the Francis Church is saying the Church has done these evil things. And the most conservative in the Novus Ordo, even those who are attending the Latin Mass in the Novus Ordo are saying the same thing. Yes, the Church has done these evil things. With one voice, they're all saying the same terrible thing, the same lie. The church has done these evil things. Only the traditional Catholics are saying, the Catholic church has not done these evil things. The Catholic church could not do these evil things. An enemy has done this, has sowed this poison, this poisonous weed in the field of Christ. An enemy has done this. The modernists have done this. It's very interesting to see that initially when all of this came to light with the Pennsylvania State Report, very few, if any, except for our own what Catholics believe, very few were, were saying modernism is to blame for this. Very, very few. In fact, I can't name a single one that from the outset was pointing at modernism as the problem, except ourselves here. And in the, in the weeks that followed now, I see more and more of these websites, traditional and Novus Ordo conservative websites, more and more we hear the voices saying modernism. Modernism is the problem. I'd like to think that our own what Catholics believe might have played a role in that, that possibly People are paying attention to our own little website and getting the message that, yes, it is modernism that is the, really the root problem here. But no one, of course, would connect or link to us or cite us. as in, We're too small, and uh, we have too many definite positions on things. But the fact is that uh, we have stated this very clearly from the beginning, Modernism is the problem, and unless you see it that way, you don't see it. Unless you address it that from that vantage point, you're not addressing it. I see more and more now. I hear these voices raised. One of them is a letter that I'll be reading to you in just a minute here from a young priest. According to this, the source of the doctrine that the church is the bride of Christ comes from the Bible. It says it here in the article. It comes from sacred scripture itself. Christ refers to himself as the bridegroom and as, to the church as his own bride. 
the evangelist, St. Matthew, chapter 9, verse 15, St. Mark, chapter 2, verse 19, St. Luke, chapter 5, verse 34. John the Baptist refers to Jesus Christ as the bridegroom in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 3, verse 29. St. Paul, Paul explicitly describes the relationship of the church to our Lord as the bride to the bridegroom. And in his epistle to the Ephesians, he talks about the love between our Lord and the church as the love between the husband and the wife, between the bridegroom and the bride. And again, repeatedly in the book of Apocalypse, what they call Revelations now, again, the church is seen as the bride of Christ. This is something scriptural. This man is telling you no more. We cannot think like this anymore. No, we have to move on. Speaking as a bishop, long lectured the priests, on a clericalist culture in the church, which he blames both for the collapse of the post-conciliar church in Australia and the sex abuse crisis. At no time did this Bishop Long blame a culture of sexual permissiveness, homosexual networks, or even the sin of lust. He didn't even mention this as being responsible. Uh, Bishop Long cited Pope Francis' recent attacks on clericalism and wondered if cardinals and bishops dressed in their finery squirm in their seats when the Holy Father talks about it. And so he goes on and on and talks about it and he wraps up by saying the priest is not alone as an exalted figure, exclusively chosen and gifted, with something most people don't have. He explicitly says that. He says priests are not alone. They're not set apart. They're not exalted. As if to say the priesthood itself is not exhausted, exalted. They're not gifted with something that most people don't have. So in other words, there's nothing special about the priesthood. This is exactly where we're going. We are coming down to the level of ministry of, of Luther the rejection of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Ironically, Bishop Long says, ironically, the whole clerical culture is often geared towards individual heroism and male chauvinism. He's saying this with regard to the example of the curé of ours, St. John Vianney. Now, I want you to listen carefully to this point here. He refers to that great example of priestly holiness, the curé of ours, St. John Vianney. And this is what he comments about St. John Vianney and his place in the church and his place in the new church. Ironically, the whole clerical culture is often geared towards the individual heroism and male chauvinism. The curé of ours, John Vianney, blessed, blessed John, he calls him, he was a hard man, wasn't he? He denounced dancing, among other things. He is a patron saint par excellence for this kind of priestly individual heroism. No wonder many of us suffer from ministerial burnout, depression, and loneliness, he said. This is what he says of the example of the curé of ours, St. John Vianney. The example that he said. Individual heroism. He said he's making a mockery 
of the saintliness, blessed John, he calls him, his condemnation of dancing modern culture. He says, no wonder, following an example like that, the rest of us suffer from ministerial burnout, depression, and loneliness. This man is not a sick man. He's not a demented man. He's not a deranged man. He is the perfect modernist bishop of Francis. He expresses perfectly the modernist contempt for the holiness of the priesthood and the holiness of the sacrament of holy orders. And then in a statement straight out of Vatican II, it might have been straight out of Vatican II, he says, I invite all Catholics in our diocese to exercise our responsibility as citizens to engage in this community discernment. There you are, the magic word. In other words, rethink everything, reject the traditional, immediately adopt the modern or the modernist. It should not be a matter of a simple answer, yes or no, to the postal survey. It should be an opportunity for us to witness to our deep commitment to the ideal of Christian marriage. But it should also be an opportunity for us to listen to what the Spirit is saying through the signs of the times. Classic Vatican II. Yes, reaffirm, as he says, our commitment to the ideal of marriage, an ideal which most people can't really be expected to hold to. That's just the ideal. That's not the norm. Notice what he's saying here. But at the same time, we are reaffirming our commitment to this ideal of marriage, which is inaccessible to most people. He said, we also have to keep our ears open to where the Spirit is taking us. Now, in the signs of the times. And what he's saying is a contradiction. Yes, uphold this. At the same time, you're tearing it down. Accept this. Embrace this. Reaffirm your loyalty to it. At the same time, you're trampling it underfoot and destroying it. Vatican II. Time and time again, again, the bombs were placed there to detonate, and they're detonating all around us right now. But they were planted at Vatican II. Make no mistake about it. And I'm going to uh, also uh, reference a letter here, which I think is extremely important, because it shows there is a young priest out there who really does get it. He really does understand what he's dealing with. So much so that I'd like to read the letter to you in its entirety, but I will refrain from doing so. This letter actually was addressed to uh, a Dr. Peter Kwasniewski. Dr. Kwasniewski was writing for 1 Peter 5, that's where this appeared, October 25th, 2018. The article is entitled, Letter from the Battlefront, what a faithful young priest goes through. And I was quite amazed when I read this letter because I saw that there is actually a young Novus Ordo priest who really gets it. And he gets it why Francis and his fellow modernist revolutionary cardinals don't get it. Um, now, after an introduction by Dr. Kwasniewski, he then cites this letter in its entirety. And I consider this to be 
a classic already in terms of its clarity of expression about what the modernist crisis is really all about. This young diocesan priest is not identified. He just says he's a diocesan priest who had to leave where he was because of all of the, what does he say, uh, rampant sexual promiscuity and its attendant cover-up and persistent refusal to recognize it as a problem. That is why this young priest had to clear out from where he was and seek another place. He doesn't identify where the place was or where the current place is, which is fine. He goes on to say something rather interesting here about what he's found in the new place. Here, here's what he says. I'll just read it to you. I couldn't say it better than he does. I have never witnessed sexual abuse, but I have witnessed things like stalking, targeting, and seductive behavior by priests. One priest who was accused by others had at some point actually tried to seduce me. Being a mature adult man, I never tolerated the behavior and walked away. But the sheer quantity and persistence of this behavior eventually led me to my having to tell several of them that if they ever attempted to communicate with me again, I would get the police involved. That is the only sort of language they know how to speak. Victimization. They are hell-bent on making you their victim. And the only thing that will stop them is if you threaten to make them a victim. Then, after you have threatened them, they crawl into a corner with tears, as if you've wounded them unjustly. They protest, I wasn't doing anything wrong. They tempt you to apologize, so that in your moment of weakness, they can then victimize you. Their entire rubric for life is to seduce and victimize. <laughs> All the while, pretending as though this is how natural friendships are supposed to be. They play the role of victim when their seductive tactics are exposed. In this climate, there is nothing that can be done to preserve the peace of a fraternal community. There simply is no peace, no charity, only sin and sacrilege, and the charred remains of Catholicism. I mean, I have to say that this man expresses very, very well the modus operandi of the homosexual clergy. And you know what came to mind? When he talks about how they are aggressive, and then when you stop them and threaten them to expose them, they become the victims and try to draw your sympathy, so that in drawing their sympathy, they can make you feel bad and use that also again to seduce you. Another attempt to seduce you. I, I couldn't help but think. I couldn't help but think of Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. Gollum, you know the character in The Lord of the Rings. How aggressive he could be and threatening. Oh, but when he was found to be at fault and when he was threatened, how he retreated and how he was, oh, these those big soulful eyes looking at you. Oh, the pure victim he played to gain your trust so that you would uh, then turn your back on him and then how he would plot against you. But always, always there was behind this, 
If you did not succumb to him, you did not fall to his seductions, he did not have his way with you, his anger and his vengeance. He was out to have vengeance on you. How this is so true. The character of Gollum is living in these modern seminaries. It is in these modern dioceses. It is in these modern parishes here. It is in these homosexual clergy. This is how they think. This is how they act. The, uh, the description here is too good to be, to be an accident. It applies perfectly in their approach. The, the rubric for life is to seduce and victimize, and then to seek vengeance against anyone who had crossed them. Why is Vigano in hiding? Because he knows this. Because he understands this. He understands the mentality we're dealing with here. When their seductive tactics are exposed, this is how they react. Now, this clergyman then goes on to say, but wait a minute, he says, physical seduction is forbidden by law. There are laws against it. But even where they do not dare to approach you with physical seduction, where they're warned away to stay away from you, or you'll call the police, this priest says they still continue with their intellectual seduction. He says that here, and I think this is very incisive in his part. There's still the intellectual seduction. And he says this comes from a malformed faith, he says, because they do not teach the faith of the church, and they do not teach the moral doctrine of the church, and they leave your consciences malformed. And he says the malformed conscience is easily seduced. So he portrays this in the seminaries and so on, that when they're even about teaching you in conscience, they're malforming your conscience with the malice of forethought that they're going to, they're going to so mis, uh, misteach you, they're going to so badly uh, teach your conscience that you're going to be open to their seduction. They're going to leave you intellectually vulnerable to them. They're going to leave your conscience morally vulnerable to their seductions. And so they're actually, in this means, not only trying to turn you into a homosexual, sort of like a vampire, the bite of the vampire turns the non-vampire into one of the walking dead, but where they can't succeed in inflicting that, that bite, they will then seduce a person morally by misforming his, his conscience into thinking like a homosexual. And now he can be very easily and willingly seduced physically. This is very, very interesting. He says they use the religion merely as a ruse. It is something for them to kind of appease them and reassure them. But they also use the religion as a tool to to distort the consciences of other people under the guise of Catholicism so that they are open, those other people are open to their, their homosexual teachings, their homosexual immorality. Interesting take. I haven't heard anybody else put it quite this way. 
But he goes on and he says in the next paragraph, they do not have any real faith in God. And they have no appreciation for purity. They despise purity. They actually detest purity where they find it. He says, quote unquote, and this is all in, uh, in italics, they hate and despise all chaste priests. And for those who know and have been there and done that, for those who've actually had contact with people like that, they understand. The chaste priest's nose, the chaste priest knows the look and the sneer on the face of the homosexual clergyman and what contempt there is for that chastity. They know what that is. It's horrible. It's almost as evil. Well, it is. It is the same evil of the look on a, someone going in for an abortion when you stop them and tell them and plead with them not to murder their children. And they give you this look of absolute hatred because you threaten all that they care about. Their, their lives in this world, that's all they care about. That's why they actually hate this thing growing in their womb. They hate this because it threatens all that they live for. And you stand there and tell them not to do this. And they have a look of absolute hatred for you. It reminds us of this, the, what the, the exorcist says about coming face to face with a power of Satan, a diabolical power in the one that they're exercising, that this, this power absolutely hates you. And so it is that on the homosexual priest, in his voice and on his face, you see that same sneer and contempt wherever they meet with chastity, not only in the lay people, but especially in their fellow clergy. I, I quote, they hate and they despise all chaste priests. This priest then goes on, and I'm skipping a number of paragraphs here, um, but I think what he has to say is so important. He talks about their attitude toward the church, not just their fellow clergy now. He's not just talking here about how they regard their fellow clergy, which is what his topic has been up to now. He talks about how they regard the church. And he says they regard the church in this way, that the problem in the church is that the church has not changed enough, that the church is still too old-fashioned, that the church must be further changed. And here I think he gives an answer to a question. Some people are asking, why would the St. Gallen group, and before them the Pact of the Catacombs, why would they see a need for a Francis? Why did they not see that, that John Paul II or that Benedict XVI had actually succeeded in furthering Vatican II? Why do, why do those of the people who support Francis regard Benedict XVI and John Paul II almost as failures <clears throat> in pursuing the course of Vatican II, <clears throat> as though everything ground to a halt in this great revolution during 
John Paul II and Benedict XVI. Were these two men not radical enough? Well, it is a fact. Now that we see Francis, we see how factual it is that John Paul II exercised a kind of holding action to consolidate what Vatican II had changed. John Paul II didn't really introduce vast sweeping changes the way Paul VI had done before him. He just consolidated the changes that Paul VI had made. And Benedict XVI the same way. And so the radicals, the revolutionaries, very, very well might have seen John Paul II and Benedict XVI as being sort of obstacles who failed to realize the promise of Vatican II. And they needed a radical like Francis to come in and finish the job as if they were to finish off the church and get it over with. This priest says something interesting. He says, according to the liberals, the current scandals are happening because John Paul II and Benedict XVI unreasonably prevented Vatican II from achieving the end for which it was called, to bring the Catholic Church fully up to date with the modern world. So yes, he says, and I'm sure he's not just imagining this, he's actually citing them, because he's actually heard them say so that John Paul II and Benedict XVI actually prevented the, the realization of the revolution of Vatican II. They held things back. No wonder they are considered to be the arch-conservatives by the radical liberals. No wonder the modern church and even the, the, the conservative Novus Ordos consider John Paul II and Benedict XVI to be sort of the quintessential Catholic pontiffs because they held things uh, they held things more or less steady from the revolution of Paul VI. These are people who saw the revolution of Paul VI, those 15 years from 63 to 78 when Paul VI brought in all these changes. And all of a sudden now, things seemed to stabilize under John Paul II. But they stabilized with the Novus Ordo. But for people who had come through the, the heady days of John uh, Paul VI's radical changes, it must have seemed like they'd reached a moment of peace and tranquility in the church, uh, a moment of sanity after Paul VI. But in fact, John Paul II was nothing but a modernist who was actually very much a part of bringing all those, all those radical renovations in, in Vatican II, long before him. The fact that he chose to hold them, hold on to them, and consolidate them was actually a very important part of things. If they had had a Francis elected immediately after Paul VI, then the Catholic people, I'm sure, would have seen something very, very wrong. They would have reacted. But they had a, a John Paul II, and they had a Benedict XVI to lend an aura of <clears throat> Catholic legitimacy Catholic legitimacy to the revolution of Paul VI before them. <clears throat> that was essential. I'm sure this was the devil's doing, even though the radical modernists might not understand the necessity for that. <clears throat> from our vantage point of modernism, we can see how that was absolutely necessary because the, the modernist revolution threatened again to go off the rails, overheat and simply destroy itself.
Francis still sometimes does threaten that. <clears throat> Benedict XVI and John Paul II before them prevented that from happening. In a sense, set the stage for Francis now to complete this revolution. But when he says that the radicals in the modern church, the Novus Ordo, see John Paul II and Benedict XVI unreasonably preventing Vatican II from achieving its purpose of completely renovating, completely updating the church to the modern world. No surprise. The problem, they say, is that the priesthood is an enclosed society. Again, the target is the priesthood. Remember that. For the modernists, the objective is to destroy holy orders as an institution, the institution of Christ himself. The problem is the priesthood is an enclosed society too cut off from normal people in which vice is allowed to flourish because of a protective old boys club. This is how they see it. If only women were there, things would be so much better. They also think this problem is linked to the hierarchical nature of the priesthood. That our Lord never intended the priesthood to be hierarchical or distinct from the laity, and that this distinctness is the cause of the abuse crisis. That's what Francis is calling clericalism. He stated it very, very well. The distinctiveness of the priest, the distinctiveness of the priesthood, that there is a part or role the priest is to play that is comes from Jesus Christ, our Lord himself, that is of divine origin and by divine decree and divine authority, that the priest has unique powers of the priesthood uh, to be an altar Christ, an altar Christus, another Christ at the altar, in the confessional, and so on. This is something that the modernist absolutely condemns and hates and wants to obliterate. And that is exactly what they're doing right now. Don't be mistaken, the homosexual crisis is not a problem for Francis. It's not a problem for his modernist cardinals. It's not a problem for his modernist clergy. It is a solution. It is the answer. It is a necessary part of, this, of the of the disintegration of dissolving the priesthood, even the memory of the priesthood, what it was meant to be, and replacing it with a synodal church of the laity, relating what their experience of faith is at the moment with the successor of Jesus Christ, Francis, telling them now what the faith is right now. They say that the true priesthood that you and I believe in as Catholics is necessarily and inherently imperialistic and power-driven. This is harming the church, they say. And this priest says, judging by his most recent statement about this whole matter, Francis feels the same way that they do. Well, he sees that now. He sees that. That Francis sees this. He says what they're really saying underneath all of this banter is that the law of celibacy must change. But if you ask them, they may say, no, no, that's all right. Now, I would add something to what he says here. 
The homosexuals are not really that anxious to change the law of celibacy. It's obvious why. Why would the homosexual clergy want to change the law of celibacy? The fact that other priests who are not homosexuals are forbidden to engage in uncelibate behavior means nothing to them. It doesn't affect them. It doesn't restrict them in any way. In fact, celibacy in the priesthood is a kind of cover for them that they can carry on and they don't have to explain why they're not with women now that it's okay. They don't have to explain why they don't have wives now that it's okay not to be celibate anymore. You see, a homosexual in a non-celibate clergy would have a much more problematic existence in trying to explain why, all, why now they are not interested in women now that it's okay. So as long as there's celibacy, they can explain their lack of interest there. They're not really as excited about changing the laws of celibacy as one might think. And we can understand why. What they want to do, and this is where this priest says it so well, they really want to change the entire Catholic teaching on the virtue of chastity. That's what they want to change. They don't want to just change the rules of celibacy in the clergy. They want to change the entire Catholic teaching on the virtue of chastity. That's what they want to change. <clears throat> and you know what? When Francis says we must stop obsessing about abortion, contraception, and homosexual marriage, we must stop obsessing about these things because they're not the most important things. Those must not be our emphasis. Those must not be our focus. They're really not that important. That's a step in this direction. To change the whole Catholic teaching with regard to chastity. Well, if anyone is working on that aspect of it, it is Francis. So anyway, I will wrap up here by uh, drawing it all together. What does this priest call for in his letter? He says, the modernists ultimately want. He, does, he actually names modernists. He says here that the modernists are the issue. I was amazed when I saw that, but he said it out loud here. Modernism is the problem. He says what they really want is they want all the Catholic people to believe that the Catholic Church has failed them. This is what they're really after. This is the ultimate goal. So that every Catholic person believes that the Catholic Church has failed, has failed Christ, has failed mankind, and has failed them personally. This is the pretext for destroying the Church of the Old, that old evil clericalist medieval church of triumphalism and imperialism. Destroy it and build a church of compassion and humility. This is the whole point. This is what he says. 
We have failed you, they say. They want everyone to say that. The church has failed you. We are collectively sorry. May God forgive us for failing you. Is this not what the modern bishops have been telling the youth, their youth synod here? Uh, that the church has failed them. We are collectively sorry. Francis, apologizing so-called for the youth crisis, finally after days, after saying he will say not one word, comes out and says the church has failed, and you lay people, you have to do penance. You lay people, you have to pray and you have to fast in reparation for what you have done. What nonsense. What utter nonsense. Right? How can people fall for this? He says... They like to foment the sense. They like to foment the sense that the clergy as a whole have failed the laity, or worse, that the church as a whole has failed them, because it makes the laity think that the essence of the majority of Catholics, that, that the essence of the priesthood and of the church needs to change drastically. That's what he says. That the essence of priesthood the essence of the church needs to change drastically. The liberal priests have taken the temperature of the masses, and they believe that the majority of Catholics are now almost ready for the gigantic ideological shift toward the left that the church has been waiting for since Vatican II. I'll repeat that statement because it is key. Liberal priests have taken the temperature of the masses, and they believe that the majority of Catholics are now almost ready for the gigantic ideological shift toward the left that the Church has been waiting for since Vatican II. This is going to be their big push for total destruction of all that you and I would recognize as Catholicism. This young priest gets it. He understands them. He knows what's going through their minds. <clears throat> he knows what their intention is. <clears throat> you and I need to understand it too. He says the Novus Ordo is an essential part of this whole plot. And here's where he goes. He says the Novus Ordo has undermined our reverence for Christ. The Novus Ordo has undermined our reverence for the church. The Novus Ordo has undermined our reverence for the priesthood. Not only the reverence the laity have to the priesthood, the Novus Ordo has undermined the reverence that the priests have for the priesthood. The Novus Ordo must go. He says we have to, we have to repeal Vatican II. That's where he ends. That's where he goes with all of this. He says, you call it an apostasy, and rightly so, he says. Let us call a spade a spade. It is time to decry modernism in the clergy, and every modernist priest must be denounced, whether or not it is his fault that he is one. Culpability cannot be taken into account when so many souls are endangered. The surest way to do this is for a pope, he says, a pope, to repeal Vatican II. He gets that much. The idea of a pope repealing Vatican II, when you have Francis, the golden boy, the anointed one, 
the torpedo who is supposed to bring Vatican II to fruition, destroy the old church, and to build on its ruins the new modernist church? That's not going to happen. It's curious, though. He says this is what is necessary. It is amazing that he actually says it out loud. Um, he says, I mean to cease to render Vatican II as a springboard for implementing constant change and to relegate it to a position of impotence in the practical life of the church. In other words, to set it aside. So repeal it, he says. Repeal it. If this is done, he says, many priests and bishops who worship the holy twins, Ron Colley and Montini, curious, many priests and bishops who worship the holy twins, Paul VI and John XXIII, will form a schism. He says they'll go into schism. Those who worship Paul VI, those who worship John XXIII are going to go into schism. He says, fine, let them go. The others who do not worship them will have to reform, re do a real reform of the church and a real restoration. He says it is an apostasy. He calls it a cancer. He says, we have to end this modernism in the clergy. He says this is the intention of his daily rosary, for an end to modernism in the clergy. I'm sorry I've gone on longer than I intended. Uh, seems I always do. But I think in order to just bring the point home, I don't see any other way. We just have to make the point. I think there are those who are truly getting it right now, truly understanding what's at stake right now. And whether you want the pe people to link to anything I'm saying here, that is immaterial to me. But if they will go and they will, they will uh, address the letter from this young priest crying out in the wilderness here, in, in, the, in the wilderness of Vatican II, well, uh, to unmask modernism for what it is and say, this is the problem and we must do away with modernism and all its works and all its pomps, meaning the Novus Ordo, the entirety of the Novus Ordo that Paul VI put in place here. We must return to the practice of the traditional Catholic faith in its entirety. There you have it. That's the answer. It's the only possible answer. That's what we must do, one by one, individually, for the salvation of our own souls, and ultimately, for the good of the church today, we must reject this modern Novus Ordo construct. Long ago, a, uh, an evil man named uh, François-Marie Arouet, known to the world as Voltaire, had in mind the destruction of the church. He ended his letters with the expression, écrasez l'infâme, écrasez l'infâme, basically, Erase the rich, the wretch. Erase the wretch, obliterate the wretch, annihilate the wretch. And by the wretched thing, he meant the church. He meant the real Catholic church. This was the battle cry of a hater of Christ, a hater of God, a hater of the Catholic church, a hater of Catholicism, a hater of heaven itself. Écrasé l'infâme. Erase the wretched thing. Well, for those who would love God, for those who would love Jesus Christ, for those who would love the Church of Jesus Christ, the Roman Catholic Church, for those who would love the Catholic faith, for those who would love the Catholic religion, for those who would live that Catholic religion, 
And for those who would save their souls, they have to say, crush the wretched thing, this modernist trust, uh, prospect, this modernist construct of the Novus Ordo. It has to be crushed. There are those who see this more and more clearly. We have to sound it from the rooftops, crush this wretched thing, modernism, and all that is produced, it's Novus Ordo and return to the practice of the true traditional Catholic faith. May God bless you all.